Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, my lovelies. It's such a joy and a delight to bring you the final episode of Changes Season 4. It's been a blast, man. I mean, it's been so fun. We kicked off with Steve McQueen. We had that super emotional conversation with Yeba. Uh, we had Lisa Nealon talking about her kind of her life and her stammer. We had Jimmy Carr. We had Hassan Akkad. We had Caroline Criado Perez. I know that episode is being passed around loads. Um, I keep getting messages about it, talking about gender inequality in the world today. I went over to Nick Grimshaw's house and had the loveliest conversation with him that was a hugely popular episode in the series Bexie Cameron told us about her life growing up in a cult Emily Ratajkowski told us about her relationship with her body and how that's changed Billy Porter that episode bloody broke me last week we had Prue Leith who is just the most inspiring woman and loved loved talking to her as so many of you loved listening to that this week we are bringing you Another absolute legend. This woman is so kind of ingrained in our culture now because she's so prolific on television that it feels kind of weird telling you about her because you know her. It's Davina McCall. You know her for her amazing TV presentation, her kind of goofy grins and her sense of humour and her openness and her emotional intelligence. She's so, so good at her job and natural, as they would say. And she's had a bonkers life leading up to being massive on television, which we're going to hear some of in this conversation. But to tell you the truth, the reason why this conversation came about is because I was getting out of my car on the school run and I was just totally in my own head and thoughts. And I looked up and the first person I saw was Davina. She was filming on the streets around where my kid's school is. And we had a lovely chat and I hadn't seen her in ages. And I had been really watching her stuff because she's been talking a lot about the menopause, having gone through it herself. The start of it was 10 years ago when she was 44. She's since made a huge documentary about it called Davina, Sex, Myths and the Menopause. Um, She's writing a book about it as well called Menopausing, which is coming out next year. And she talks a lot about it on her Instagram. And as someone who is in her early 40s and feels horrifically ignorant when it comes to perimenopause and the menopause, I've been, yeah, really glued to, to everything she's been saying and learning a lot from her. So when I saw her in the street that day, what I said was, thank you. Thank you for everything. I'm learning so much. And then I texted her afterwards and said, would you consider coming on the podcast to tell me more? And she said, yes. So what we're about to hear is an overall conversation about Davina and her personal relationship and journey with the menopause and how that has kind of made her look at her life differently, made her look at herself differently and also what she's learned on this kind of mission that she's been on for everyone to know more about the menopause and menopausal women. She is a force. She has got so much energy. She is so informative because she's talked to so many people and, and kind of really gone deep about this. So I think you're going to find this conversation really useful. And I think it's really important that if you're listening as a man, you don't switch off now because everyone needs to know about what women go through in this period of their life. Everyone is going to be related to someone or have someone in their life that they know that has either been through this or is going to be going through this or is going through it right now. It's a hugely important discussion. It's a hugely underrepresented topic when it comes to the kind of national conversation in the NHS um, and just in culture at large. So we have to talk about the menopause more. Now, in order to understand Davina's own personal journey with the menopause, I wanted to kind of zoom out a little bit. So we started the conversation with her thoughts on change itself, whether it's something she welcomes or fears. 
and to the podcast, Davina McCall. I mean, you know what I really liked about this podcast? Because I, I was thinking about change and how people might assume because of the kind of person that I am or my personality that I would be careering towards change and, you know, I would be very adventurous and wildly accepting of change all the time and free-spirited about it. I'm not. I absolutely hate change. I love routine. I love knowing what's going to happen. I'm a complete planner. I hate change. And I will literally only change when my back is so far up against the wall that I'm in so much emotional pain and turmoil that I have to change or if change is just foisted upon me, you know, like when you're a kid that you've got no choice in it, you're not making a decision, your parents are making you change or something's making you change. Um, So I I hate it, basically. I, I don't ever want to change anything. But my greatest joys and my greatest emotional growth has always come from change. And whenever I do it, I think, what was I so scared of? So, well, let's talk about some of those changes then that you've been through in your life. We know loads of them. You've written a book about this. You know, it's all out there. But just let's go through the bones of what you experienced of change in childhood. What was your biggest change? I think the biggest one for me was probably my parents divorcing. I was about four. So basically, what my parents divorced did, and I'm not a victim. I don't see myself as a victim. This change was good and it made me who I am today. Um, But there was a chain of events that kind of set up a fear of abandonment, not by my dad, but from my mum. So basically what happened was my mum and dad split up. My mum was French. My mum was going back to Paris. And I'd grown up in the UK with my mum and dad in Putney. And the courts decided to grant my dad and my paternal grandparents custody of me because I had grown up in the UK and that the UK was my home and that my mum was trying to get her parents' custody in Paris. And that was a sliding doors moment for me because if I'd have gone to live in Paris, my life would have been absolutely chaotic, out of control. I had a sister that grew up with my grandparents in Paris, a half-sister, and she was very, very damaged from her life in Paris. And I grew up with my granny in the UK. My dad came down and saw me every weekend and it was a very safe environment. But when my mum left me with my granny, which had all been organised with the courts, but I wasn't aware of that, it was in an era where you don't tell kids the truth, you just sort of fudge over it, you hope they'll just forget it. But she said she was going on a two-week holiday and that she'd come and pick me up when she got back. Because... I'm not sure that she knew how to tell me she wasn't coming back. It would have been painful and difficult and I probably would have cried a lot. And this was easier for her and less painful. But she never came back and I ended up feeling like a visitor at my granny's. Even though it had all been organised, I felt like I was overstaying my welcome constantly. And it made me feel a bit, you know, unsettled. And after a few months, you know... After maybe six months or something, I went out to Paris to see my mum and then it all seemed quite normal. You know, I lived in the UK with my granny. I visited my mum and my dad I saw at weekends. But it set up a kind of fear of abandonment, that change, that meant that I made a lot of bad decisions in life from that. So all my drug habit and everything, I think, came from... I just always was on the edge of kind of, are you going to leave me? Or is this going to go wrong? Or am I going to get abandoned? And the only time that I felt like, oh God, any kind of relief was when I was on drugs. And I just couldn't feel full or, or happy when I wasn't on drugs. So it, that set up a kind of precedent where as often as I could... I would get out of it, like as often as often. And that didn't stop until I was 24. Was there a point in your adulthood when you had to stop charging forwards and 
was there a reckoning as such, a moment when you were like, I need to look backwards in order to move forwards in a healthy way? Totally. I had a weird experience of letting go of this fear of abandonment and it was going to see a hypnotist, but for something completely different. So I was doing this amazing show for ITV. I've got no idea why they asked me to do it, but it was just one of those shows where you think, oh, thank goodness they did. It was called Life at the Extremes. It was a natural history programme. But it was kind of like a normal person going up into extreme situations and seeing how do we cope like against animals. So uh, how would I cope in extreme heat, you know, versus a cheetah? Or how would I cope in extreme depth in comparison to a sperm whale? And I had to go down in this tiny, tiny, weenie submarine. Like with three of us, you can't stand up in it. There's no loo, nothing. And it's just got one of those sort of semicircles of glass on the front. It was amazing. But I thought it takes 45 minutes to go down to the bottom. We were going to a thousand metres under the sea. And I thought to myself... I need to go and get hypnotised. I am not claustrophobic at all, but I just need to go and double, triple check that I'm not claustrophobic. I just want to enjoy this experience and not be thinking, oh my God, I can't get out. What am I going to... So I went to go and see this amazing hypnotist uh, for that. And I said, look, I'm doing a job and I really want to um, make sure that I don't have a panic attack at a thousand metres under the sea and try and get out of the submarine could you hypnotise me for that? He said, yes, it's perfect for that. In fact, I will help you enjoy it a lot. And he went through three things. He, He said, he talked to me a bit about my childhood and he said, right, I think there's two things. I think it's the fact that it's a TV programme and you want to make sure that as well as making a great TV programme, yeah, they are going to keep you safe. So I said, yeah. And he said, have you done your due diligence? And I was like, No, I just let everybody else do the due diligence. He said, well, why don't you call the people with the submarine and ask them, how old is it? Where's it from? Who uses it? And I'm so pleased I did that because the guys that I was going down with, they built the submarine. And it was like their fifth submarine they'd built. They go down in it all the time. And that made me feel so much better. They're married. They've got a kid. I was like, they're not going to be reckless. (laughs) Yeah, 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 all these things matter. (laughs) And they do matter. Like, it's so interesting. And immediately I thought, oh, that was such a great piece of advice. But he said, what you have is a lack of trust, which we can work on. And he said also a fear of abandonment because we talked a bit about, you know, my drug use and my childhood. And I was like, oh, okay. Anyway, when we went under, he said, "Uh, would you like me to... uh, When you feel your lack of trust, where do you feel it? And I said in my chest like there's a tightness in my chest and he said okay if if I said to you would you like me to take away your lack of trust what would you say and I said yes and he said when you feel your fear of abandonment where do you feel it and I said in my heart and he said if I said to you would you like me to take away your fear of abandonment what would you say and there was a pause and I'm I'm hypnotized and in my head I'm going say yes say yes say yes and I said what do you mean and in my head I went why did you just say that? And he went, well, if I said I could take it away for you, what would you say? Would you like me to do it, yes or no? And I said, no. And he brought me round and I came round and I remembered everything. I said, why did I say no? He said, well, let's talk about that. Why do you think you said no? And I realised that I thought, because I'd grown up with a fear of abandonment, that I am. Defines you. That is who I am. So, yeah, like, can I present long lost family if I'm, if I'm don't have that? Can I be empathetic anymore? Am I going to completely change as a human if this pillar of my entire being is removed? And then he he was brilliant. He said, "I do this for people all the time. You won't change. You've still had all your life experiences. You've still lived through all of that, but you just won't be ruled." by this fear that governs decisions that you make on a daily basis. I said, well, that sounds great. Like, bring it on. So the next time I went to see him, he put me under. He asked me the same question, but this time I said yes. And then he said, "Okay, we're going to go back to the first time that you felt abandoned. And interestingly, it wasn't when my mum said goodbye, because I I didn't think she... I thought she was coming back. I think the first time I felt abandoned was, like, later... I remember sitting in the kitchen 
wondering if mum was going to come back, but then feeling like it would be rude to ask my granny if my mum was going to come back, but I didn't know what was going on. And I went back and visited that little girl and he said, take her to your safe place. There must be a safe place somewhere where you used to live. And it was under a tree in the garden. And he said, sit her down. And he said, comfort her. Because uh, he said, well, how's she looking? I said, she looks a bit worried. And he said, comfort her. And I said, I feel stupid. Hmm. I don't know what to do. Like, I don't, this is weird. And he said, comfort her as if she was one of your own children. Right. So I was like, okay, I know how to do that. So I put my arm around her. And I said, put your head here. And she put her head on my chest. Oh, and I was, ooh, I was stroking. I was stroking her hair. And I said, you know, you're right. And she was like, she kind of nodded. And then he said, tell her it's all going to be all right. And I God. got really upset and I was really crying. And I said, I can't tell her it's all going to be all right. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, it's not going to be all right. She's going to become an addict. She's going to get into some terrible messes through drug addiction and through make terrible choices and end up in, you know, it's bad. And he said, but look at you now. And I was like, oh, oh God, it is all going to be all right. And it like blew my mind. And I thought, oh, I don't have to live in the past of it wasn't all right. It all comes good in the end. And I could hand on heart tell her, you're going to wow. be fine. Like, everything's going to be okay. And I told her that, and I just kept telling her that. And then he said, she's all right now. Because I was like, oh, we're all going to be okay. <laughs> oh, and, then, and then he said, you can take her back. And I was like, I don't want her to go. And he said, you've got to leave her now. You've got to, like, you've got to leave her in this place. But you've, you've told her, she knows. So I sat her down in the kitchen, and I kissed the top of her head. And he said, you can leave now. But he said, before you leave, just turn around and look at her one last time. And I looked at her and he said, how does she look? And I said, happy. Oh, God. And, and, and so I left. And he brought me round, and I really had a good cry. But it was like a shedding. I felt like I was shedding. And I said, I'm happy crying. I'm not sad crying. I just feel lighter. And I said, this is all about blooming going in a submarine. What's going on? Like, yeah. this is more. Yeah. This is deep, right? Yeah. This runs deep. And from that moment on, if I felt that I was mistreated or something unjust was happening, I would stick up for myself. And it, it changed everything. It was life-changing, breathtaking. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Davina, I want to ask you now about your adult change. You have been through huge amounts of change as an adult. You've been through divorce, you've lost people you've loved, you've had such a, a kind of amazing roller coaster of a career. Um, but you've chosen to talk about the menopause as your change, a thing which is often actually called the change. When did you first notice symptoms of the menopause? 
When I started Symptoms, I was 44. No one had ever uttered the word menopause to me. I was thinking Sherry Blair had a baby at 45. Like I was, this wasn't going to happen to me. I, it wasn't even on my radar. It wasn't that it wasn't going to happen. It just wasn't a word that I even recognised as part of my vocabulary. So subtle things started happening, but I really realised it. Um, I was doing a job for Garnier. I was in Prague. I was in a hotel and I woke up in the morning and I was like, what the hell? I'd been up twice in the night. I'd had a pool of water that had caught in the nape of my neck. And I had sweat so badly that in the night when I'd gone for like my third wee, I was like, what's going on? I must have a UTI or something. I'd gone and got a towel. I'd laid it down on the bed. And I woke up and I thought, God, I feel like I've been using, like I've been cold turkeying or something because I'm sweating so... It was revolting. And I'd always said that one of the things I was most grateful for in recovery was dry sheets. Like waking up with a crisp, dry pillow after you've been using for years is like the best feeling in the world. And suddenly I was like, what is going on? And for two or three days, this happened every night. And what I really remember is I looked at myself in the mirror and I thought, what's happened to your face? Like, you're so dry and wrinkly. Like, and I just felt exhausted because I wasn't sleeping. And I was on this shoot and obviously it's kind of a beauty thing. And I was trying to be super professional, but I remember thinking, God, I can't think straight. Like, what's going on? I got a bit worried and I thought it must be a flu or something like that. A month later, same thing happens. I am embarrassed. I don't tell my husband. I'm just quietly putting towels Mm. down. I think I'm going mad. And then over the next few months, things really start to deteriorate. The brain fog gets pretty bad. Somebody on a job notices, says, are you okay? I was doing a live TV show. I kept making mistakes. You know, I'd done it for so long. I didn't yeah, really ever make character. mistakes. Like, yeah, it's not what I do. Mm, and she mm. went, are you okay? And I went, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. And inside, I mean, I'm sorry, Annie, because I feel like I'm only telling you, like, really terrible stuff. No, 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 we need to hear this. I'm a very happy person. <laughs> but inside yeah. my heart, when she's saying to me, are you, are you okay? I'm thinking, I'm really not okay. Yeah. Like, help me. There was a little person inside going, I'm alone. Like, I don't know what's going on. And I think I've got a brain tumour. Um, was this constant? Or was it coming and going? No, no, absolutely not. So it was waves. And often it was, um, because I was still having periods. They'd gone a little bit doolally. My periods had always been like three days long. And suddenly they were like five days. I might get a bit of spotting in between. There might be, but again, still didn't think anything of it. Like still didn't think, oh, weird I had been on the Mirena coil. Sorry, I'm really telling you my whole hormone yeah, history yeah, yeah. here. Yeah. I had been on the Mirena coil, but I came off it because my husband was like, you've been in a really bad mood. And um, I thought, well, maybe it's the Mirena coil. Mm. Um, you know, maybe that's, that's what it is. But that could have been the beginning as well. Moody, a bit like, oh, you know, everything's annoying. And so I, I'd come off that. So I was back on periods again. And they'd gone a bit funny, but I thought, oh, it could be the Morena. You know what I mean? Mm. So I was like, oh, maybe it's just me adjusting. And But it was kind of once a month, once every two months. And that's why I think I let it go on for so long, because I did have moments where I thought, oh, this is fine. But then my bad moments were progressively getting worse. You know, I joke about saying my phone was in the fridge and my keys were in the bin, but they were. You know, um, I... I w- I'm normally quite a good mum in the morning. I became quite kind of frantic, a bit frantic. Everybody get in the car. And then I'd sit and sometimes, maybe once or twice, and I know that doesn't sound a lot, but it was heartbreaking for me. I'd just kind of cry before we set off on the school run and I'd just go, I'm really sorry. Mm. I don't know yeah. who, <laughs> I don't mm. know where that came from. It's not you guys, it's me. I'm mm. not upset with you. And I just thought, God, what's going And then I remember just feeling old and feeling a bit washed up and feeling um, tired 
and old. And I thought, God, this is, I'm careering towards 50. So I'm basically, this goes on for about a year, year and a half. And then I think, I'm going to talk to my cousin about it. And my cousin's the same age as me. And I said, have you got like any of these symptoms? And she went, it's, I think it's perimenopause. And I went, what do you, what do, what's perimenopause? What do you mean? And she said, well, you know, before your periods stop, you have the perimenopause. It's like, no, I, I don't know. Mm. <laughs> And I, I then went online and I was like, perimenopause, what, what is it? And I realised quite quickly that that is exactly what it is. Question. So I want you to define what the menopause does to a woman's body and also tell us the, the kind of historical symbolism of menopause to women. Like what used to happen to women in history post-menopause Because I think it's really good to have that kind of overview. Mm. Well, first off, in history, in Victorian times, you would have a baby in your teens. Uh, You'd get married and have a baby in your teens. You would rear the child and you would die in your 50s. So you'd never go through the menopause. You would, you'd die before you had to, you had to deal with it. But now we're living till we're 90. And what happens, it can happen much younger, but in your 40s, your hormones start going a bit all over the place and they don't just go straight down they go down up down down up down 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 up and these are the hormones that are used to procreate so all the things that a woman has in her body that means periods and menstruation Mm -hmm. and having babies they all when you because you stop having periods they all leave and it basically means the reason why you call it the change is that you change from being a childbearing woman to a woman that does not bear children anymore and there's so many implications with that because it's not just physical it's emotional it's fucking psychological mm-hmm. it's and the fir- and the first time i really came to grips with that at 44 45 was that this could be the end of me being able to have children even though i definitely didn't want to have any more children i grieved there you go. You know, you've got to grieve. Goodbye. Mm. But when you realise that that is that and you're not going to have any more children and you get your hormones in check, there is a rebirth to happen. And in Japan, and I, I've called it this a lot because this is my favourite, favourite way to describe the menopause. I hate the word the menopause. I love the word change, the change which is a very old-fashioned way of saying it, but I love that, is it's our second spring. It's not the fucking autumn. It's not the fucking winter. It's the second spring. And... (laughs) It's my favourite season. I'm into it. We're like spring lambs. And once we start getting... Once we start getting leveled out that is the time when you can really start living again um but it's been a thing for so many years that women have been so terrified and so put off hrt by the healthcare professionals by the medical profession by everything that you would read online pre last year you know it would like you'd be terrified why why on earth would you go on that I, I just want to make sure that people listening know, like really understand. And this sounds really basic, but can you just break down what HRT is? Yeah. So old HRT, which is often, I think, what our mothers would have told us about, was made from horse's urine. Never knew that. Which is kind of gross. And also that is, um, was by pill. And the pill would give you an increased risk of clot and stroke because it's going through your liver and this was the drug that was tested and would give an increased risk of breast cancer or those that was all back then modern hrt the most common way to take hrt is it's made from yams it's body identical which means it's exactly the same Mm -hmm. as the estrogen that your body makes And it is absorbed through the skin, which means that there is no risk of clot or stroke because you're not taking it orally, you're taking it via the skin so it bypasses uh, your internal organs. So 
When you are thinking about HRT, HRT is a combination of two, sometimes three hormones. Estrogen and progesterone are the most commonly used hormones. You have to take progesterone with estrogen if you have a womb because estrogen alone does give you an increased risk of womb cancer unless you take the progesterone, which is mm -hmm. safeguarding you against that. So I started taking oral progesterone, which is safe. The best way to take it is with a pill called Utrogestin. And that is taken usually at night because yeah. progesterone helps you sleep. It calms you down. So when your body starts dipping with progesterone, which is slightly before estrogen, it creates anxiety and depression in women. And that is why sometimes women feel... Oh, I didn't use to mind driving at night. It's weird. I suddenly, I'm just a bit out of sorts. I don't quite feel myself. Or they might go to the doctor and go, I feel a bit down. And any woman over 45 that goes to the doctor saying that they feel a bit depressed, it says on the NICE guidelines, the first port of call should yeah. be put them on HRT. Yeah. And that is from the NHS. But the third and hardest one to get is testosterone and women often sort of say but testosterone is a male hormone but it's also a female hormone and we make I mean Dr Louise Newson used to say we make more testosterone than estrogen but I know it's it's not it's not measured in quite the same way and it's a very difficult kind of thing to scientifically prove but what it's trying to say is that testosterone is most definitely our hormone as well and All our hormones go all over the place in perimenopause, and that includes testosterone. Now, some women are absolutely fine and don't need testosterone at all. But if you take that duo of hormones, the estrogen and progesterone, and you're still feeling a bit lackluster, a bit unfocused, a bit... And you're still feeling that you have no libido, testosterone is the final piece of the jigsaw. Now, the NHS will only prescribe testosterone to women It's not licensed here in the UK for women. It was. I don't know why it's not anymore. I'm on it. I want to do something about that. But it will only be prescribed to women who say mm -hmm. that they have zero libido. Now, I've got a friend of mine whose husband is extremely highly sexed and he's quite demanding in terms of sex. And she's suddenly, yeah. I mean, they were very compatible and suddenly her libido's on the floor and it's having a profoundly negative effect on their relationship and the doctor won't prescribe her testosterone which yeah. feels really cruel but it may be that they've tested I don't know why they wouldn't do that but that's the kind those are the kind of areas that it can help okay. so those three hormones together can really help but it's not just that they stop your symptoms it's that they have profound long-lasting health benefits. So when you get levelled, as you call mm. it, when you find your right dosage mm. and the right things, do you have to change constantly? And then do you stay on them for the rest of your life? Um, yeah, so there's a lot of things that people say, which one of them, which is not true, is that you are just postponing your menopause. That's not true. You don't postpone your menopause. Mm. You go through your menopause and... You don't suddenly, if you did have to come off HRT, for example, you wouldn't suddenly sort of go through the menopause in terms of starting periods again. Yeah, yeah. Menopause, if there are any men watching, is one day. And interestingly, you don't know if you've gone through the menopause until a year after you've gone through it, because the one day is the day of your last period. But in fact... You don't know it's your last period until a year later. So weirdly, it's a retrospective thing. Never knew that. Never knew that. Um, and then you are a, a post-menopausal woman. But the menopause is like one day. And in the way that you have symptoms before that moment, do you have stuff after that as well? Yeah. I mean, you can carry on having hot sweats or whatever. My, my mum's just gone back on HRT in her 70s. She was taken off it in her 60s. She'd had a hysterectomy and she was taken off it because uh, back then it was kind of the idea that you shouldn't be on it for too long. Now the idea is like, stay on it forever. The health benefits are so okay. major that I'm going to have it pumped into my coffin. 
And and, and again, I'm learning about this. The, the thing in the documentary that blew my mind was the the oestrogen in your brain and the lack of oestrogen in your brain and how the links to Alzheimer's and the how double the amount of women are diagnosed with Alzheimer's than men and there's not been any fucking studies into the fact that oestrogen messes with your brain. Really upset me that. Oh, God, I'm not surprised. Mm. I, I, I was so shocked mm. by that. I mean, I think after the um, big kind of breast cancer scare thing from the WHI study, which happened in 2002, where some data from a big research um, project came out a bit early and they hadn't had time to properly um, assess the data and it had been wrongly reported. Um, All of these women that took part in this research project were in their 60s and 70s when you are at a greater risk of breast cancer already, but that wasn't accounted for. And um, all the women that... They then just reported that as increased risk of breast cancer don't take HRT. So all funding into the effect of oestrogen and the brain stopped dead there and then. And yet, as you said, it's actually two-thirds of Alzheimer's patients are... Wow. Two-thirds are women. And it is shocking to me that I, I can't help but feel if the shoe was on the other foot and it was men that this was happening to, that something would be being done about that. But there is research going on around the world and all of it is pointing to oestrogen has a radically positive effect on lowering your risk of getting Alzheimer's. And I think it takes something like six years for this effect to come into place of taking HRT. But it's profound. And Mm. um, for somebody like me, my dad has Alzheimer's and it is familial, um, that, you know, I do worry about that. And I do want to do everything in my power to, to try and help myself not get that, you know. Um, so you went on this, on this very public mission and you've made this documentary, which has had a huge, huge reaction. Sex, Myths and the Menopause. You're also writing a book, Menopausing, coming out May next year. What have you learned, Davina, about women and the menopause in terms of like, what have been your main kind of... Sh- mm, ta-da moments. ...learns and ta-da moments mm. in this journey that mm. you've made? Mm. One of my biggest, biggest things is that we need to reframe two things. We need to reframe the way that society views menopause of women because they are totally badass. Like, they've been doing their jobs for 30 years. They really know their shit they are experienced. They are sometimes mothers, sometimes not mothers, but they've lived an amazing life and are so important to society and to the economy. And this idea that so many women leave their jobs, high-powered jobs sometimes, because they feel, because of the menopause, that they just can't do it anymore. Think what that's doing to the economy. All that wealth of experience and amazing knowledge and power that's just kind of leaving in droves in their 50s because they can't cope anymore because they're menopausal. So we need to get women the education, the correct facts. And, you know, maybe everybody won't want to go on HRT, but you need to know how good it is for your brain function. And I am not exaggerating here. HRT works better at reducing the risk of heart disease than statins. That's a fact. Heart disease. I mean, we are protected when we have oestrogen. Men are more at risk from heart disease than women. But when we lose it, we suddenly overtake men and we are much more at risk from heart disease than they are when we are perimenopausal and menopausal. Mm. So taking that oestrogen is, is preventative. So we need to get women educated so that it might not be for you. You might still not want to take it. But at least you've got all the facts at your fingertips. Have you been shocked about how ignorant women are? Yes. And it feels rude to say ignorant because it's not their fault. Like, no, women, I'm ignorant. Women are criminally ignorant. Like, it's not okay that women do not know these facts. I, I wanted to ask you about the word shame and what you've learned in your journey about shame and women when it comes to our bodies. Well, I mean, I think the first thing is, is that women, we're, we're very lucky because we are quite good at talking to each other. So sure. One, now that we've kind of opened the door, like, it's not embarrassing, let's just say it. 
women feel so much shame around these symptoms and embarrassment and I don't know what it is and am I alone and I can't talk to anybody. So the best thing that we can all do as men and women, trans women, non-binary, like whoever you are, whatever you are, talk, 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 talk. That's the mm. most mm. important thing mm. because that alleviates the shame. And I think that one of the biggest areas that we feel shame, we did talk about this on the, is about vaginal atrophy. And vaginal atrophy mm. is somewhere, there's a lot of shame around that because people get embarrassed about talking about a dry vagina and what can we do. And it's like what you said in the documentary, it's like your vagina has died. Yeah. That, like even that phrase is horrific. But <laughs> there's such a simple fix and there's no risk. Even people yeah. who've had cancer can take vaginal estrogen and it mm. will lube up your vagina so it's like all happy and mm. um, like an oasis again. And <laughs> you, And... It's an easy prescription, it's an easy fix, there's no risk at all for anything. So that's a really important um, thing because there's, I would say it's, that's the area of most shame. But I think women also are ashamed of getting older and there's nothing to be embarrassed well, about. This is, this is what made me, well, earlier on when you went, I felt old, I felt mm. old. I just, I just, I felt so angry, I mm. could, my fists clenched because... Mm. Because it's this idea of, of shame around that. And also, I think there's something with women where we talk about the period thing. You don't want to be reduced to just this corporeal yes. thing. You know, you fucking worked your ass off. Yes. You want to be respected for what's up there. Mm. So suddenly, suddenly you have to be like, oh, it's my body again. You know, and, you know, you've worked your ass off through maternity and all that to kind of be more than your body. But your body is your body. And I, I don't know. I, I, there's so many conflicting emotions I, I feel even now before I've started about it. And in terms of the workplace, I think that's a really, really big key. And either that, that, you know, workplaces are kind of going, well, give people days off for menopause and stuff. I know so many menopausal women, they don't want a day off and they don't want an air conditioning unit and they don't want, they just want understanding. They just, you know, if somebody mm. in your office says, I just need two minutes to go and stand outside, I'm just having a hot flush, and for not nobody to go, oh, you know, it's just yeah. a hot flush, for fuck's sake. I'm just going to go yeah. outside, I need two minutes, I'm going to cool off, and then I'll come back in again. It's like, it doesn't have to be a thing. We don't have to yeah. make it a, oh my God, do you need to sit down? I don't need to sit down, it's just a hot flush. So it's about yeah. normalising things. But, um, That's it. But also the other thing that I think is really important is women who are in their second spring who are living their best lives. So, you know, my pinup at the moment is Goldie Horn. I mean, I keep going back to it. I saw a video of Goldie Horn on a trampette, trampoline. She makes me fucking howl, that woman. I love her so much. And I think, yeah. you know... This is, this, we need to be inspired by women who are 5, 10, 15 years ahead of us to go, oh, it's going to be okay. And I don't think we ever had that before because women didn't count back then. We were invisible. We were kind of told to just sort of quietly disappear into the sunset. But that isn't going to happen anymore, I'm afraid. <laughs> not anymore. Not when Davina McCall's in this world. Um, so... Frank, the producer, called you a walking monument to willpower. You have, you have, you have based your entire adult life around kind of exercise, gaining control, and exercising control and discipline. Mm. Your diet, your discipline in exercise, your videos. I'm not really work. that disciplined in exercise, Annie. Well, you, you trust me. Compared to a lot of other people, you are. But then the rug is pulled from under you, and you mm. have no control anymore. Just mm. how did you deal with that? And how did you, how did you cope, basically? Mm. I mean, I didn't cope very well. And I was, uh, I think, lonely. I think loneliness was the biggest thing. Like, I just felt so isolated and um, f frightened, really, in a way. And I, I, didn't, I didn't feel like I had anybody to talk to about it. That's what was scary about it. And I was, I was really, like, low. I mean, and again, I think this is the interesting thing because... If I'd presented to the doctor and said that I'd felt really low, he would have put me on antidepressants, which so many perimenopausal women get put on. But the scary thing is, and I, I, didn't, I didn't do that and I didn't get them, but 
I hear a lot from women who get put on antidepressants and then they get very frightened because the antidepressants don't work, but antidepressants don't work on hormonal depression. So then you think they're not working. I need stronger ones and stronger ones. Or, my God, there's something actually wrong with me. I need, you know, maybe I am, have got a brain tumour or something. If it's not depression, then what is it? But it's hormone-related depression because you're so out of sorts. Mm. Um, And it's just understanding that. I mean, even pre-taking HRT, the phone call that I had with my cousin, it was like a huge weight had lifted. It's like, talk to the person who looks like they might be having symptoms, who's not talking about it and say, hey, you know, do you think it might be this? Because they'll be so relieved. Mm. Mm. Um, After I watched your documentary, it really made me think so much about other women in my life that are older now and have been through menopause and look back at them and my experiences of them and think, oh, fuck, they were going through menopause. How, did that happen to you? In a huge way. My um, birth mother, because I call my stepmom's basically my mum, but my, my real mum, who was a very complicated and very difficult person, she had a full hysterectomy at um, 28, 29. She had ovarian cancer. And um, she, she was a quite a drug addict and an alcoholic um not uh, more kind of prescription drugs and kind of cocaine and stuff not not heroin but nonetheless she was she was off a trolley quite a lot and trouble like troubled and at the time I just thought she's you know I was a little girl so I was just like my mum's you know just forgets me all the time or she never picks me up from the airport or it was just carnage, you know. We'd be in a bar and she'd buy everybody drinks and then she'd flash and she'd be naked underneath her coat and I'd be like, hacking, what's going You know, she was a, like lunatic. But I look back now and I think, I bet they didn't give you any... I bet they didn't even have it then, like HRT, when you have a hysterectomy. And she would have, at 29, 30, been just plummeted into an, a, a surgical menopause. I mean... No wonder she went to drink and drugs, you know, and I, it kind of reframed everything I thought I knew about my mum. Like, it explained a lot. Mm. Listen, Davina, I have one last question. What change do you want to affect moving forwards? I mean, what, what, um, I thought about this, obviously, before I came on and I, and I, what has been really nice is realising I don't want to change anything about my life. (laughs) I am really happy but I feel like I have been given um, I I have a voice to help women at this time of their lives and I feel like there's a lot to do in this area so vaginal oestrogen should be sold over the counter if you can fucking buy Viagra over the counter and vaginal oestrogen has no risk or whatever and it could have such a profound change on women's lives Mm. like that should be happening. Why isn't testosterone licensed for women in the UK and why is it so hard to get on the NHS? You know, things like that. I feel like these are big things that I can do going forward and huge changes that wouldn't just help me. Uh, It would help millions of women in the UK. So that's what I'm on now you're on a mission you're on an absolute mission i love it i love it well the book comes out next may menopausing right yeah 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 so we'll hear more of it then but davina thank you so so much i love you annie oh davina mccall what a woman she's a national treasure man i'm so grateful that she exists and I've learned so much from her and I'm sure you have too. And please feel free to send this conversation, pass it around to friends, to family members, to colleagues, anyone who you think would benefit from hearing more about menopause and anyone who loves Davina, which as we know, so many of us do. I just find it very poignant that arc that we heard in this conversation about her as a little girl, just being uninformed and that really kind of being the basis for a lot of her trauma is no one really sitting down and talking to her and telling her what was going on about her mum not coming back and then the parallel of that in her 40s you know a mother 
a wife going through these changes and not understanding what's going on, being uninformed and having that awful year of confusion and loneliness uh, until she realised what was happening. And now she's made it her life's work to shout from the rooftops about this thing. She's working with a clothing brand, you know, to do jumpers that say menopause on the front and fuck off on the back. And and she's writing a book and she's done this documentary. You know, she really, really wants everyone to know about this. So yes, eternally grateful to Davina for her time and her knowledge and for being so open in this conversation. And I'd love to know what you think of it, of course. Hit me up on Instagram, Annie McManus. That's it from us folks it's been such a blast thank you for listening to changes it meant so much to see changes in all the lists you know in the spotify wrapped it meant the world to me i was really moved by you lot having this as your number one podcast or in your top five podcasts it really feels like we've got so much more momentum on it now and um, i'm loving having all this time to put into it and it's just so rewarding so it's making me delighted that you guys are enjoying it the good news is that we're starting season five so strong we've got some great names and i can't wait for you to hear those people but before then we've got a real treat for the first time ever we're going to be bringing you a changes end of year special so we're going to be looking back at the year 2021 and we're going to be looking at all the changes that happened in that year for better and for worse and i am roping in the amazing comedian and actress lolly adafope to come and help me kind of dissect the year and look at what's different this year as opposed to the years that came before so more details on that to come the changes end of year special with lolly adafope but until then take care and thank you changes was produced by frank palmer for din productions 